Not many business memoirs contain a story of two extramarital affairs, one that ended in murder and the other that ended in happiness. We speak to the author, property maverick, Lou Geffen, about his book, Soul Mandate, S-O-U-L, not S-O-L-E, as one might have expected. Welcome, Lou. Thank you, Chris, and hello to your audience. I don't quite know where to begin. Your book has so many exciting stories in it. But there is this thread of the tragic story of Jason Ruder and then your own happy ending. May we start with Jason Ruder, who used to work for you? Absolutely. What You were there that night at the company annual event, and you were there on the scene practically first thing that morning. Yes, correct. So, you want me to give you one actual, my version of what happened? Please, Lou. Yeah, so I was coming in from Cape Town, Sandy, and I got a, I got a call which was unusual. Yes, we were a little bit late, maybe half an hour, but the voice on the other end was Jason, and he was quite sort of anxious. I've never seen him anxious. He's always a cool character. And... um I thought that was odd, but I didn't take much notice of it. And then that afternoon, we had a uh, retort uh, how to uh, blend wine. That was one of the uh, functions of the day. So his wife was there sitting at a table. She was Sue. She was quite happy. She was involved with the table, that various round tables with different teams were sitting. And Jason and myself and Sandy and I don't know who else. We were sitting at the, what you'd call the main table, watching proceeding. And I was noticing that Jason was uh, very anxious. Took no notice. And uh, that Friday, we usually have a party, kind of an informal party. And I couldn't see uh, you know, people get blasted and they enjoy themselves. So I didn't pick up anything that evening particularly. Now, I had a partner in the business who knew the story that um, Jason was having an affair with uh, Jolene. And I was not advised of this. Was Had I been advised of this, I would have immediately stopped Jolene from coming, knowing that the wife was also coming. So we go to the next day, and I'm expecting to see Jason at golf. I mean, he's an avid golfer, and it's been going on we always have a golf game with the, with the people there. Didn't pitch. The next thing, we're having dinner. It's formal. Everybody's in the cups and, and long dresses. And uh, I didn't notice anything during the dinner. I made my speech. I came back to the table. And uh, Sue said, uh, I, I said some very nice things about Jason. And she thanked me. For then I see a... Kind of, I see uh, Sue out of character, and she's very gregarious. She's, I would say, drunk, and she's talking to everybody, but it was a bit hysterical. I thought that was odd. Now, we had entertainment. We had the three tons of fun, and that's supposed to be when the function ends. And But people gathered around the bar, and I saw uh, the shot glasses flowing and flowing and flowing. Now, unlike me, 
I don't know what made me do it. I see Sandy and Gabriella, my daughter, leaving. And for some reason, I said, guys, wait for me. Normally, I'm a party person. I said something not right. Anyhow, I went to bed. I woke up in the morning. I went to have breakfast with my daughter, Gail. And as we finished breakfast, somebody approached us and said, uh, you've got to come to reception. There's something ro- wrong. I can't remember the exact number of the room. I said, who? Who was the owner of that room? Who's staying there? And they said, Rhoda. And my blood went cold. Anyhow, we went to the room, and what we found was Sue lying on the floor, on her back, completely naked. And one of our managers was applying um, uh, resuscitation. And uh, that was the scene. And, of course, there was a distraught Jason who was crying, put him in the car, and said, what am I going to do about my kids? Called that. My daughter was comforting him. And uh, this went on for quite a while, and then the police arrived. Police arrived, they went, they did their thing, but by 11 o'clock there was a yellow ribbon around the room, in other words, crime scene. That was basically what happened. Uh, of course, there's more detail in the book, but um, but that, that's what happened, and it, 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 was, it was catastrophic. What a tragic story. Now, may I take you to an affair that has brought you much happiness. Tell us yes. about the woman who has stood by you through tragedy and triumph. Catherine, yes. Well, the story starts on one Jewish holiday. I was in Cape Town and I decided to play golf very early in the morning because I was a one ball and I wanted to be ahead of the field. So I'm standing on the tee box at 6.30 in the morning and I hear a very lyrical voice behind me. <laughs> Good morning, would you like to play golf with me? I said, I would love to play golf with you. <laughs> and so we started. So she was very petite, she was very well-dressed, she uh, she was very engaging, and uh, we played the game together. In During the game, we exposed ourselves completely. I married four kids. She told me she had three husbands previously, <laughs> And uh, we finished the game, and when we finished the game, I asked her for a phone number, which uh, didn't come immediately, but when I took my glasses off, the phone number came, and I made an arrangement because I was traveling up and down from Joburg to Cape Town in those days, attending Uber meetings, which uh, the company my son founded, and uh, that was my reason for being in Cape Town on a continual basis. And uh, so the next time I invited her, I met her, we went for dinner, then I invited her uh, to spend a weekend with me at uh, Bushman's Clove in the north. And so it happened. And the next time I came, we went to Bushman's Clove, and the rest is history. <laughs> 23 years How ago. long? I was just going to ask you, you've been together, together for 33 years. No, 23. Not many? 23. 23. So not many affairs last that long or end so happily. Why do you believe yours did or has done so? Well, she, she, she firstly, she's a very affectionate person. Then she's, she's very clever. 
she's actually an artist by trade. And she sells her art all over the world through uh, um, two online agencies. But I don't know, we got on. I mean, during that period of our relationship, we went, we loved hiking. So we went on many hikes together, sometimes four days, sometimes five day hikes. She was a very hardy person, although diminutive, because um, she grew up in Corsica in the mountains. Now, Corsica is just, they call it mountains in the sea. That's what it really is. Very beautiful place. So she was like a country girl, and it was no sweat to her. She do. She says she loves hikes, and we used to spend days, and we were very happy in each other's company. There was hardly any conflict, and uh, it just grew and grew. So, are you going to become husband number four? No, I, marriage is out. I'm seventy-five years old, and I'm not getting married again. <laughs> There's no no reason to get married again. Listen, either you trust or you don't trust. So we. After 23 years, there's trust. Let me take you to some other stories in your book. The time your mother fired you, what happened? Well, it was I, I was so elated at the time because of the birth of my first child that I, I got so many good messages that this message came as a shock. But knowing my mother, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. She was a formidable woman. Yeah. I just had to make another plan, that's all. What was the reason she gave you, or didn't she even give you a reason? No, I know what the reason was. The reason was, it's, it's quite a long story, but basically I didn't like real estate in those days. And I knew she was building a spec house, and she would have used another person to do the renovation. That was an old house new box, and it needed a renovation to basically to put on the market as a spec. And I really wanted to do this thing. She said, you can't do it without any training. She said, did you go and ensconce yourself with an architect for six months? I'll give you a chance. So I grabbed the opportunity. I found an architect in observatory to His name was Jack Robbins. And I said, look, I'll come here. And I use the term, I'll work as a dagger boy. In other words, shoveling cements. I'll do anything you want me to do. Uh, but just teach me. I want to watch the whole process from the start to finish, and that's what I do. From uh, digging the uh, trenches to the finality, I watched every process of building the house. I had a very good relationship with Jack. Gave me a lot of information. He also taught me a little bit about drafting. And uh, then he moved into the new house, the one we built, and I had to sell the old house because I was still in the real estate game as well. And uh, as I said in my book, it's the first time I actually sat on a show and sold the house by lunchtime. And then I was ready to tackle the project in Houghton. And, uh, well, I had a Georgian um, vision in mind. And I started doing the drafting. And I put in arched windows, I put pediment moulds, I cut off the roof, put a, a nice moulding at the top, uh, the box cut underneath. And all in all, it looked majestic. It was a very beautiful house. It had a, a driveway, porte-cochere, a very elegant home. The finishes were excellent inside. The only one thing that went wrong 
I kept on asking my mother's bookkeeper, how much have we spent? And she was always two, two months behind the curve. So I never had a real idea of what was going on. Long story short, I overspent by 20,000 rand. And when we put the house, then my mother moved into the house. And actually, for about a year, now six months of the, we enjoyed the house, played tennis, and everything was fine. And uh, then she had a series of show days, show days, couldn't sell the house. Eventually, we sold it for 20,000 rand loss. And my mother was most upset. I can that's imagine. Where, I can own uh, <laughs> And that's when I got the notes. Uh, on, sent by a scooter. <laughs> well, from your mother to the Israeli mafia, tell us how you uh, stayed alive. Well, in the, normal, in the normal course of business, you know, you had a big sales staff and uh, 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 the people that were in Ethel and Ilova at the time, mother and, uh, and a son. So uh, along came a funder, Merva, who wanted to uh, develop the property and he wanted to develop it into 12 clusters. And they said, no, definitely it's been rezoned for 12 clusters. In fact, it had only been rezoned for four. And I was leaving the office and my PA said to me, somebody is very anxious to talk to you. So I thought, leave it. Big mistake, <laughs> because maybe I could have done something to stop it. Any other transfer went through, and then I got a, I got a call that I had to take. So basically, they said, listen, you've lied to us, your agents have lied. You have to bear the responsibility. We'll give you four months to sell this property. Now, the property was bought for $5.7 million. It wasn't a cheap property. And I said, if it's not sold over after four months, you will buy the property from us. And if you want to know who we are, we took out, there was an assassination in Oakland in the year before of Hazel Crane. They said, they said we're the guys that did it. <laughs> That's all they had to say. So... I made a few investigations. I mean, I didn't take it at face value. And I was to ask you about 20 people in the nothing. They said, no, it's genuine. So I, I, went, I went through the pain for four months of trying to sell this public property. And after four months, I had to put my money where my mouth was and I had to buy it for 5.7 million rand. And not only that, as I bought it, they, um, uh, it was vandalized. They took out everything. So there was nothing, I couldn't even rent it. I held onto the property for nine years and eventually sold it to an architect for three million. But at least you lived. Living was much better option. <laughs> now, you, you have sold the houses of some really famous people, uh, including Nelson Mandela. Tell us about yeah. that one. Well, I got a, yes, I got a mandate, actually. I've still got the letter from the ANC. I mean, such... They were so fresh in the business. Uh, from Jill Marcus, actually. Just out of the blue, I, I didn't have to do an interview or anything like that. They just said you had been awarded a mandate to sell this property in 13th Avenue House. This was the first one. 
that he lived in. Remember, he lived in another one after that. And uh, I, well, I, I put my agent onto it and we sold it. Um, and then I got him to sign the book, Long Walk to Freedom, uh, personal uh, congratulations to me. Well, I can't remember. I've got it in my cupboard. And that was that. But I, I must tell you, I made a boo later on because I got a call from Wolfie Sessman of uh, uh, Rapid Mace, I think. He said, I've got a client coming from London. He only wants to deal with you and he wants to buy a home in Houghton. I didn't click. I sent my agent and guess what? Someone else sold the house and that was the second house that he bought. And I missed out on that one. So now, you make mistakes. You even tried, yeah, but, but you even tried to sell a house to Princess Diana, didn't you? Or to pitch one? I, yes. Uh, well, I thought there's no harm. I mean, the Valley Home in, in Parktown was a very famous home. And this is when things were right with them. So I thought, what a nice, I mean, they have been to sell that. Maybe, who knows? Let me send them the pics. Let me send them a proposition. And being the royal family, they absolutely are proper and polite. And I got a letterhead from Buckingham Palace, uh, from the lady-in-waiting, and Beckworth Smith, I still remember the name, and very politely declined the offer, but the princess thanked me for my, uh, uh, for my, for my effort. Which other incidents in your life will stay with you forever? Well, there's so many of them. I'm just trying to think. Uh, yeah, the one, the the one that was quite, quite hilarious. When I, I I was in the construction game, as you know, after I got fired, I did a house for a Mrs. Levy in Houghton. She liked the work that I did. She'd been to the show day, and then uh, my next job came out of the blue. It was from an architect's firm, Fee and Bold. And they said, we went, we, we are building Larry Scully's studio in Houghton. And would you pitch for the job? So it's the first time I'm dealing with architects per se. That's why I say I flew by the seat of my pants. And, and uh, I look at the plans. And I even taught myself to be a little bit of a quantity surveyor. But I saw one thing, RSJ. What the hell does that mean? And I thought, I'll be that, that important. <laughs> when I found out what it was, it was reinforced steel joists spanning 30 meters, two of them, uh, by about six or seven hundred heavy, heavy, heavy things. You need a crane in most cases to put them up. And I go to Larry Scully before I start the job. He was quite an important artist. And I give him the story. He says, listen, I'm not giving you any money, but you can take two paintings. And they're both hanging in my house today. And the architect said, you better offer the paintings because in the long run, they'll be much more valuable. At that stage, I needed the money, but I took the paintings. But when it came to putting the joists in place, that was something. Because the scaffolding was up, and I had an old old school builder, Marnie Stain. He says, don't worry. He takes the truck, comes back two hours later, and he's got 15, la- 15 street people that he just picked up, unskilled, and he's got these things waving in the air and putting it up. 
that was a terrifying moment, but we got it done. So, are there any regrets? Yeah, there's only regrets about the loss of my son. That, that's a big regret. I wasn't. I wasn't going to bring that up, and I'm very sorry. My condolences. That is a tragic, tragic story. So, what are you doing with yourself right now? Well, <laughs> I it came in lockdown, and I had nothing to do, so I decided to write this book. And um, the first version was cursive, which I did over lockdown. I don't know. Now, nobody's going to read this because my writing is atrocious. So then I thought, what do I do next? I will type it on my iPad and email it to myself, which I did do. So eventually I landed up with a whole pile of emails. Then when I went with Catherine to Corsica, she lives, she lives in the mountains and we've got a lot of time and space to, to think and do. And that's when I completed the rest of the book. Also in email form, and then, funny enough, I, um, I I read a lot of autobiographies, and I, uh, I, I these days I'm on Kindle, so I see a story called White Trash. So I get the sample. I know it's a it's, it's a woman's book, but I read it. It's quite interesting. And um, at the end, I see a publisher Melinda Ferguson. Now that brings me back to twenty years ago when I read her book, Smacked, and I was totally enthralled with that book. I mean, it was a, I don't know if you read it, but it's, a, it's quite a, it, 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 it's a rite of passage, actually, into normality for her. And uh, I just made contact with her. She said, well, I, I, is it on Word? I knew nothing about Word. What is Word? <laughs> I said, I've got emails. Anyhow, but, but between my IT guy at the, at, at work and her, they worked it out, converted it to word, and so slowly but surely, the real book started happening. She had to edit a lot of stuff out. I think it's very well written. It has a lovely rhythm to it. Uh, you, I, when I picked it up, uh, I started with with Jason Ritter, but I just, I just kept going. So I, I I think it's very enthralling. Now, apart from living happily with Catherine, what next for you, Lou? Well. I said to myself that, um, look, I'm still the chairman, and I have said several, not a lot of duties, but I have duties as far as that concerned. We just had a convention in uh, Arabella, and uh, it was very successful and nice. So those kind of things I've got to attend. A board meeting once a month, which is not much work. Other than that, I'm hands off. My daughter is running the, the, the entire business, and she's very capable. So this was an experiment to see if I could actually write. Now that I know that I can write, with my children begging me for years, Dad, why don't you write children's stories? You tell the most amazing children's stories from the top of your head. So that's my next step. I want to, I want to try and become a role doll. Incredible. Another reinvention for Lou Geffen, Property Maverick and author of Soul Mandate, speaking to Biz News. Thank you, Lou. Thank you so much.